Aurora, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me back. It's great to see you. It's great to see you too. I, I saw you grab your drink. I actually have three drinks here in front of me. One is a coffee with coconut oil and cinnamon. I love it. <laughs> One is a spiced chai tea. Oh, very nice. And this other one is water with ginger at the bottom. I approve of all of your beverages, and I am not a salesperson in any way, but what I have here is coconut water that's sweetened with like erythritol, like no, you know, low, low, low carb, low keto stuff. And it has a little bit of green tea extract in it for a little bit of caffeine in the morning. Amazing. And for those of, uh, of uh, the people that are listening that have not listened uh, to the first interview with Aurora, Aurora, please introduce yourself one more time for those that did not hear the first interview. Thank you for that beautiful opportunity. I'm Aurora and I'm a one name person. So I don't have like a first name and a last name. So if you're ever looking for me on any keyword searches, I'm technically no first name Aurora. And <laughs> I know, and I legally changed my name to that. I didn't know how many challenges it would cause me in life. Oh my God. Really, you can imagine. Um, I'm a galactic walk-in. And what that means is that I came into this body like this biosomatic body form about 20 years ago when the previous occupant was having a metabolic death or a near-death experience. So, and I say I'm a galactic walk-in because there's all sorts of different types of walk-ins. Sometimes it is a transference of one soul from another soul coming in. And also in recent years, I've learned more um, examples of people who had a walk-in experience that did not involve some kind of like uh, death to the body or body trauma or anything like that. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily happen from a physical illness or an accident or injury. Sometimes it happens just through a soul contract, but mine was through actual, um, like a brain damage and an actual metabolic death. And that is how I came into this world. So I know that also might be a bit of a dark topic, a little bit difficult in an introduction, like, hi, like I'm here because another person died, but I'm also very, very clear about I'm here on a purpose and on a mission. And it relates to the artistic and musical offerings that I have to share. I'm holding up my flying rainbow lasagna sculpture because the way that I came into this body and really literally rescued my body, rescued this, this life trajectory from just being cut short was by doing this new genetic dance. So I do a new type of dance movements with my DNA, with the DNA of the bodies of the cells of this body that's called the flying rainbow lasagna. And it's an oscillation that creates like a genetic portal to vibration through which myself as an abstract cosmic presence and a cosmic waveform can come in here. I can be in this body. I can talk to people. I can make artwork and sculptures. I can share ideas through music and videos. And that's what I've been doing for, like I said, literally 20 years. Woo. Amazing. Wonderful. I'm so excited. It feels like the first time. <laughs> it feels like the first interview all over again. Okay. So let's, uh, I took a few notes here. Let's, uh, let's uh, in, um, hone in in a few. Uh, flying rainbow lasagna. Let's take those three words. Why the first word? Why flying? When I first created this genetic portal, I looked at it and I was kind of surrounded by other cosmic intelligences. And when you create something in the world, you get the chance to name it. And they all kind of looked at me expectantly like, okay, like you made this thing, you get to name it. And in that moment, I saw that it was flying, like levitating. So I said, it's flying, rainbow colored. That was easy for me to choose. And then I chose the word lasagna because the sculpture has a curly sine wave, like an up and a down, up and a down as the edge. That reminds me a lot 
of lasagna noodles. And so I chose that word. And again, I'm a cultural outsider. Like I didn't necessarily, imagine if you were going through a dictionary or a thesaurus and you were trying to find the closest words to match, but you're not really a native speaker. So I chose those three words as really a non-native speaker to try to describe this waveform presence that I had created. And again, like, like being a one named person, I did not really know or understand the repercussions of what it would mean to choose to name something a flying rainbow lasagna because people have have all sorts of different associations when you say those words there yeah. it's, it's sometimes it's incomprehensible but some people think I'm talking about like what what is this does it have to do with food why lasagna all these things <laughs> there have been a, it, a many many conversations and questions just for basic comprehension of why I chose this name yeah wonderful wonderful um, I'm thinking here it's been years since I had lasagna so I need to go and have myself a lasagna <laughs> do it and also like there's healthy lasagnas you can make with like layers of zucchini or layers of vegetables that I know lasagna is pretty heavy on like the pasta and the cheese. Not everybody eats that way anymore. It's kind of an old fashioned dish to make. So it's kind of like we can we can lighten it up and make it in a different way if you ever wanted to. Amazing. Yeah. Regarding. So you talk about flying rainbow lasagna, those yeah. three words there. When you we were talking about the drinks and the food and, and, and the drinks I have here, the drinks you're drinking. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it dawned on me, I think the last interview, we didn't talk much about physical health or diet. Can we go into that as you being a, say, non-native speaker of English or, or the language of the earth using words? Because yes. from, you know, uh, you use telepathy where you come from, correct? Exactly, exactly. Okay, so coming to this realm, um, being in the, you know, choosing to be in someone else's body who is passing, who is dying. Yes. And uh, then choosing the diet. So how did you bring a code with you of what the human diet uh, needs to be for it to be a healthy, sustainable life? Or did you have to learn? How, how did that occur for you as far as the physical health when it comes to foods? Such a good question. I had a huge learning curved upward trajectory in being in a body because I, I might have explained a little bit to you. The last time that I was incarnated was a different time on earth that might be considered more like Atlantis when we ate very differently and mostly ate pure light or pure frequency. And so I'm used to being sustained when you have a physical body form just through sun gazing, just through tones. Oh, tones and that music comes inside of your cells and sustains you or like through holding on to a crystal or bathing in crystalline waters like this is what I remember as what would be considered a mythological or supernatural way of sustaining oneself so when I first came here as Aurora in 2001 at first I tried to just do sun gazing and just eat light and I didn't understand why that was not enough to sustain my body. I really didn't understand why, like, like, why is my body like getting smaller? Like, why does my body feel weak? Or like, I can't do all these different things. So I had to learn like, oh no, in this time and place, you're gonna have to eat food because our bodies have been genetically modifi modified our bodies have been changed. They are now um, a denser form than they were in that time of Atlantis or what people might remember as a mythological time of you know, pure consciousness freedom. So there's no conflict, but I had to go through all of these layers of learning at the fact that yeah, our denser body presence needs to be sustained with denser foods. And so when I learned that, then I started to do whatever the people around me did. And you can imagine most of the people that are around 
one on earth. Most of them are not with very good health habits. So I learned about like, you drink a lot of coffee, like you smoke a lot of tobacco, you eat a lot of processed foods. I learned all of those things and I was doing all of these things. And then I learned from their effect on my body. We're like, wait, like this isn't good for the body at all. And the first thing was learning like tobacco, like that's not good for the body at all. And then like everyone I knew was drinking giant cups of coffee from, you know, the convenience store. Like that is not good for your body at all. The processed foods, I had to learn about that. So basically in 2006, a friend of mine gave me a, a video to watch that was um, um, telling all about the new process called genetically modified organisms that up until that point, so this is like, for anyone who might be 20 years old or younger, you might not know or understand that there was a time when our food supply was not genetically modified. And when everything like corn, wheat, and soy were not changed on the level of the seed before it was even grown, all of those were simply the natural products that had been developed over hundreds or thousands of years of agrarian society. And my friend showed me this video that really enlightened me as to what was going on in our food supply in terms of gene splicing and really changing in a laboratory method the basis of what we call food and that you know the even the soy or the things that we feed to our animals that are then used for food everything changed and that really made me change a lot and at the same time i was learning more about my own unique biochemistry that my body does not respond well to carbohydrates which is why i i have a drink that is like erythritol with low low carbohydrates because um yeah, you're, you're nodding yes, and you might know about this too. Yeah, so I had from brain damage from the previous occupant, sensitive to carbohydrates, and they can be seizure triggers. So I didn't know that, and there's sugar and corn syrup in everything. So as my education on what it is to be an embodied human became more refined, I learned that my body does not do well if I eat sugar or corn syrup, and I learned about genetically modified organisms. So then I started to stay away from those products. And up until that point also, like I didn't really know about cooking and food preparation. So I had to then start, I started watching Food Network on TV, and I learned all of these different recipes I had to educate myself about what ingredients go into food because there's sugar even in like salad dressing and so many things that you don't know that it's in there so I had to actually then learn about ingredients learn how to make food and then I started on really the healthy food odyssey that I'm on right now where I choose non-genetically modified uh ingredients and I make a lot of my own things and I do a low carb um low glycemic and a non non-grain based diet so I make myself like almond bread that's made out of, you know, like almond meal or something like that. Like I've become good at making all these different alternative recipes, but that was quite a learning curve. And it took me many, many years to fine tune and figure out what works for me. And another big thing that I learned about is dietary hemp or dietary CBD, the things that it used to be a part of the food supply, because um, I learned historically in our world, um, there used to be giant fields of hemp that were grown industrially for things like fiber and the seed, and that the leaves and other parts of the plant that couldn't be used effectively for industrial purposes, they fed that to the pigs and the, the chickens and the cows, and it went into their milk and their eggs and their meat in small amounts, but that all stopped in World War II. So our food supply used to have these natural sources of, of cannabinoids and CBD in it, but then it wasn't there anymore. So literally, 
I moved from upstate New York where all of CBD and hemp and cannabis was in prohibition to California so that I could grow a garden mostly for the purposes of juicing the raw leaves. So I'm a huge proponent for being able to juice raw cannabis. And I have nothing against cannabis that is used in other forms, like nothing against any of these things, but I'm just really, really clear, like the raw juice, it does, it's not psychoactive, it's not psychedelic, it doesn't get you high. And that I also, I do hemp seed sprouting. Like I'll show you a tray wow. just really fast. Yeah, because I just happen to have one of my trays going, but this is like hemp seed. So again, it is totally legal and it's legal in all of these different states. Wow. It looks amazing. Yeah. I want to eat them right now. Totally. I will send it to you through the screen. Like it's so, I I, feel <laughs> I got it <laughs> when I get my, and I eat like maybe half, half a tray, like a handful of them a day. And cause where I'm living right now, I can't have a big giant garden. Like I'm living in the city. Like I said, so I used to live someplace, I had a backyard, had a large garden. I used to live in Northern California where of course everybody has extensive cannabis gardens. And that's part of why I was there. Again, I'm not a huge proponent of just zombifying yourself by, by smoking huge amounts of it or anything like that, even though I allow everybody their journey. But I feel really comfortable in advocating and saying, everybody should be able to grow a garden, juice it the way that you would juice a vegetable, sprout it the way you would sprout like bean sprouts. So that's pretty much my same procedure. And it puts wonderful dietary CBD and CBDA into your, into your diet, into your body. And it's part of staying alive and healthy. And that is what, again, I had to learn about like our body has an endocannabinoid system. Our brain and neurology have all of these receptors that are meant to have all of these positive chemicals. So I have been through like a huge health journey and basically doing that with raw cannabis and raw hemp products is how I got off of a lot of anti-seizure medications that were pharmacological that came from the doctor via prescription that have like very, very debilitating um, uh, side effects, you know, in terms of like, you know, anti-seizure medicines being more like tranquilizers that take away from your quality of life. So yeah, I went through not only the nutrition odyssey, but the industrialized Western medical odyssey of learning all about medications and prescriptions and pills and side effects and the way that doctors view you as a patient. I had to learn about all of those things too, which was very, mm. very 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 challenging <clears throat> wonderful wonderful yeah. yesterday i was uh speaking with my girlfriend about sprouting how i've decided to start sprouting again i used to live in a farm yeah and, uh where i raised uh seven kittens four puppies and there were chickens there there were ducks and there was a fig tree and in that farm and a lot of other beautiful fruit trees in that farm, I started sprouting all kinds of things. I even tried sprouting quinoa or quinoa and uh, beans. And so now regarding hemp seeds, if I buy the hemp seeds, say from Costco, can I sprout them? Probably not, because up until this point, hemp has been a controversial plant. So in order to sell it for its nutritive qualities, like to be able to just sprinkle hemp seeds on your salad, a lot of the times they're sterilized, sometimes with like a steam that makes them very hot so then they won't grow. So if you want to do hemp sprouting at home, you have to get viable is the word. Do a keyword search for viable hemp seeds. And I happen to find, again, I'm not a salesman in any way on this, but I'm just telling you, I found this one that is organic, 
Polish in origin from the country Poland hemp seed, but there is now American hemp seed that you can get because now it's more um, legalized here. Um, but the only issue that I found was that to get the American bag, it's a bag of 50 pounds, like it's <laughs> an investment of a little bit of money in order to be able to get 50 pounds, but that's probably like several years supply. So if you want to go serious, go in with some neighbors or something like that and get the big giant um, domestic hemp. But um, yeah, you have to get the kind of hemp seeds that are untreated and then they will sprout for you. Okay, so untreated. So I'm taking some notes here. So okay. big, big bag of 50 pounds. Yeah, and I do can it with neighbors. Fernando, if you want me to. I would Go love get on that. a bag if you want to. What's that? We can, we can contribute to one bag if you yes, want. Yes, I'm in. You I'm have in. 25 pounds of hemp seeds and you can share with so many people and so many in so many good ways. Yes, yes. So we talked about diet. We talked about the the foods and you, the journey you had in learning yeah. and getting off anti-seizure medications. Yeah. And the next question is a little bit un, unrelated, and it has to do with the either the the person whose body you you uh, you came to to live or to be in. Did you have any communication with that person? Meaning, did you guys, did you have, say, um, a conversation, even if it was through telepathy or in the spiritual realm um, at all? Did you, did you guys have a conversation? It's such a beautiful question because most people really do ask me when they start to feel into my story or my origins, you know, my journey, because um, there's a lot of caring about the woman whose life I walked into and who she was and what was going on with her. So yes, I, as a soul presence, like an abstract waveform, had a lot to do with the moment of conception of her, like her coming into being. You understand, like when you get conceived as a baby in your mother's womb, there can be all these different influences that are like, yeah, like we want this life to happen. You understand, like you have like a team rooting for you because there's so many forces against the likelihood of a conception and a live birth. Like you need a team, you need help like that. So I was definitely on like team birth, like, get conceived, be alive. <laughs> Definitely um, a positive influence. But that is as far as my influence went in terms of this lovely person's life. And like, I'm very hands off, like, you know, if you plant a seed, you let it grow, instead of trying, I would never try to control or own someone's life. It's like, I help you to get born, I root for you in your life, but then definitely watching and perceiving as a positive observer, what was going on in the life uh, that I had helped to, to bring into being. And then seeing a great injustice at the moment that she was being killed, because she was being like killed, it wasn't a natural death at all. And that the circumstances that were being done, now I have the words for it, you would call it a directed energy weapon. But for many years, I didn't have a way of saying it. I would just say like a beam of energy was going into her head and was killing her. So that is, it was also soul erasure, which is something you have to understand is totally against cosmic law. Like your soul is indelible. Who you are is written into what people here define as the Akashic record or it's uh, it, invisible like indelible record of who and what you are and everything you've done and the idea of something being able to come along using like a laser beam of technology and to disrupt or erase that person's journey through time was very offensive to me and to everybody else who is like an organism that stands for cosmic law and for justice and for the way that things are supposed to be because that is not 
ever supposed to happen. And this also was a good person who was here. It's not like an evil maniac, like erase that person. Imagine being edited out of the book of life, out of the story of time. That was quite undeserved. And the mm -hmm. reason why these things are done sometimes to good undeserving people is time is like a sweater or like a tapestry. And if you have all of these threads woven together properly, the fabric is strong. But let's say you pull out one thread or a moth eats a hole and then there's this thread goes out, this thread goes out. Then all of a sudden you start to have an unraveling of the whole entire sweater. The integrity of events of time itself begin to lose their integrity and it begins to affect the health of the entirety of the cosmos and of all these higher levels. So I'm very much like a time guardian, you know, um, a person who looks after and cares for as a caretaker, the structure of time on a higher level and wants everything to be going like good music the way it's supposed to be. And I saw some very, very wrong notes being played. So very spontaneously, I decided to create this genetic portal and come in and do something and intervene about it. And it's the type of thing where it had to be done spontaneously, because if it is premeditated, then others can stand in your way and say, ah, I see you're going to do this thing. So now I'm going to stand in your way or give you a flat tire, stop you from getting there. So I didn't really have an opportunity to have a conversation with the woman who was living this life for the first 27 years of biological existence in the world. I didn't get a chance to really say like, hey, how do you feel about this? This is what's happening with you. However, I can tell you from the way that she lived her life. She led an exemplary life, the way that you would say like, like a warrior, like live, taking each moment, living it to the fullest, doing the best, like sharing goodness and light in the world, a very, very good person, an honorable person. It makes me cry to talk about this because she's the, the type of person that you want to have on earth in this world, doing good things and helping other people. And with an enormous amount of potential in terms of artistic and musical and creative potential, who was quite young and still finding her way and still had not developed her talents and her, her sharing in the world in a way that I'm sure if she had had more years, she would have done a lot of good things. So I in seeing that and the potential for her life, I took up the mantle of her existence. That means everything that she could have been, I honor her being by doing that and being those things. I became the artist that she would have become. I make the music that she would have been able to make. I help people in the way that she would have been able to help people. I do it with my own flavor in my own way, but in honor of the person that she was. Um, but she's not like in an afterlife or in a heavenly, on, on a cloud I joke about, not like sitting on a cloud or anything like that because so much of what she was was disrupted or erased that there were really only fragments that were left. And her soul is a real soul, but it's different than my soul as Aurora and my, my, where I come from as a more cosmic direction. I've been a caretaker for her soul for a long time. And this is a really deep um, level of responsibility too because a person's soul, it's golden, it's incredibly valuable. I would never steal a soul or capture or enslave a soul. It's the antithesis of that. I've held it in caretaker form, like in trust, carrying it along with me as I carry it along this body to take it through time so that I could deliver it to its destination of where it needed to be. And I feel like within the past year, I did come to a beautiful resolution on taking that soul on its journey to where it needed to be so that there, that way, that soul is like um, click, like it's in where it needs to be as opposed to like floating around, not knowing where it needs to be, that there's like a, a completion and uh, a goodness 
to that journey and a right a rightness to everything that's there even while of course my life continues onward but i want you to know that i'm not a, a soul exploiter or a soul enslaver or an invasion of the body snatcher people would often bring up that movie when i would tell them what i am i'm like no no i'm the antithesis of that that if i hadn't come in and done something with this life and with this body it would have been like a, a dangling thread of like unresolved stuff that that's part of where the pain of the cosmos and suffering of the cosmos really comes from these unresolved tendrils and that in coming in here as a, like I've, I've already transcended life and transcended food and transcended these different lessons that we learn at this level of being here but I've voluntarily chosen to come back here into this life to take up this mantle to do this so that there would not be this dangling thread of pain and suffering so that I could bring things to their com completion and their conclusion so it has been a big challenge definitely because like there's still there's pain there's suffering there's loss there's separation there's grief there's all these things that are here at this level including the karmic debts of eating other organisms and you know the things that we do just in order to sustain our presence here so it has been a challenge but I do not regret any of it and then again like I feel like I'm doing something that she would have wanted to be done with her life that as opposed to like her life just ending or you know like a sad loss and then nothing more. Yeah. How about her friends? Did 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 you take did she get, did you take on her mental the, her memories so as you come in into her body you know who the people around you the the physical body were? Yes, it's another really beautiful question. Some of her memories were disrupted due to brain damage. A lot of the memories that were intact, I'm able to access, but it's like looking through someone else's, you know, computer or through someone else's library of books. So a lot of these relationships did not feel personal to me until I made them personal to me. So her family and friends felt like somebody else's family and friends that I had to introduce myself to as Aurora and get to know as a different, like I had to get to know them myself. They had their own remembrances of who was here and who was in this body. And also um, a lot of people, even though they're good people, they just kind of couldn't make the translation. They just kind of couldn't come to accept me as Aurora, but I always held and continue to hold the door open for them. But for some people, it was just too much like what, like it used to be this person that I know, now you are this different person, who are you, what happened? And even um, you know, close family members, like parents and siblings had a great deal of difficulty. I, initially I felt very rejected, like, but I don't, I don't want to like talk about that stuff in a way that's hurtful to her family, which has become my family because now it's 20 years later. And like I said, I held the door open, even though initially they didn't understand or couldn't comprehend me or my journey or anything like that. So it was a bit of an isolated journey, but eventually they did kind of converge. We kind of converged together. They grew as people. They came to see me as a positive presence and doing good things in the life and being a good part of, let's say their, their family dynamic and that we became closer together. And now we have great communication. We're in a very good place. There's a lot of mutual respect, but they respect me as a cosmic visitor. They don't necessarily think of me as their original daughter that they gave birth to. So they that's taken 20 years and of also like of people whose 
consciousnesses or approach to life you would consider like relatively conservative, not very um, mm -hmm. spiritual or, you know, um, uh, uh, metaphysical. This was all very, very new to them of some very re re relatively grounded people to be like, what well, you come from another world and you're in our daughter's body. <laughs> it was also in real, in real truth so painful for them to accept that their daughter had died because of course they mm. love their daughter and no one wants to hear like, oh, so-and-so is dead and they're not here anymore. That was so difficult for them. And I had many, many teary eyed conversations with them where I'm like, I, I'm not responsible for her death. I didn't kill her, but this is what happened. And that just took, I had a lot of blame, shame, and responsibility that, that I had to work through. That is part of my <laughs> journey of being here. So now it's kind of like, oh, like now I'm expanding my arms outward and stretching my heart forward that now like with that burden relieved, um, yeah, I have a much more positive presence in their family life, how, who they view me as, and also my self-image as to who I am. And also I have, I, some, some friends are golden and they're totally untarnished, like, you know, gold never gets rust. They came with me on the journey. So they knew the person who was here initially, they witnessed the transition. They've been with me as a friend for 20 years and they are like so unbelievably, they're treasures in my life. No offense again to anyone who wasn't able to make the journey. I keep the door open. And then there's new people that I made friends with as Aurora. And like many of them know me for, you know, 18 or 19 years from the very first years that I've been here and they've witnessed me on my journey. So I have, so they are also treasures in my life. Like I feel like, I feel very blessed to have made amazing uh, human connections in what I in what I've been going through here, because like I say, I'm totally authentic. I'm totally quote unquote out of the closet about who and what I am. That even when I have tried to fit in and like pretend to be a, mm. a, a non-walk-in native person, like my foreignness type kind of shows. Like when you're from <laughs> a foreign country and you're like, I am really gonna fit in here in America, but everything about you says you're a foreigner. So yeah, when I first came here, I was like, I'm gonna sit like everyone here wears denim jeans, so I'm gonna wear denim. I'm gonna fit in, I'm going to wear denim jeans and a denim shirt and a denim sweat jacket and a denim overcoat and denim shoes. I was all denim. I'm like, I am really fitting in everyone. Like I am just <laughs> like all of you. And then later on, I learned that you're not allowed to wear so many items of denim that you're only supposed to wear one item of denim. <laughs> overload on the denim but again I didn't know any of those things like I like I had to learn about food network I had to watch the show what not to wear in order to know what not to wear and then I learned oh there is such a thing as too much denim oh <laughs> uh, so lovely uh, amazing regarding people that are like you or beings or visitors like you have you met other visitors like you in this last 20 years that you've been here I have met other visitors. They're on their own unique journey. So not everybody is exactly like me, but yes, I have. So I've met all sorts of different people who are, you know, walk-ins or call themselves walk-ins. Some of them came in in their mother's womb, like a crawl-in, like maybe the baby's heartbeat stopped for a little while and the original soul was not able to complete that gestation, but a different soul came in and was like, I'm going to take on this pregnancy. I'm going to do it like, like you drop the baton, but I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to keep going for you. Um, some people came in in um, like uh, early childhood and it can be something like someone fell out of a tree or fell off their bike and they hit their head really badly and they would have died in that moment if not for whoosh, uh, soul transference. Sometimes I have met people who have had a soul contract where 
they became so weary in their life that they didn't have an accident or something that would have killed them or made them non-viable in their life, but that it was like a soul weariness that made their life uh, unendurable to them. And so then they had an agreement like, yes, that they would no longer be here and a different ego consciousness presence or spirit would come in and take over, kind of take up things where they left off. And a lot of times that is a contract with another human. So like I had to learn all about being human. I had to learn about like food and clothing and all sorts of things of being human. Other people come in with a lot of that already as their basic programming. They already have that. They know the ropes. They don't need quite so much education. And then I know some people who have had multiple walk-ins where they're like, yeah, from this era to this era, this consciousness presence was in my life. And then they, that team exited or that person exited. And then this new person came in and then they lived. And I mean, I couldn't imagine that, but it is normal for them. So I'm not casting aspersions, but my integration process was like difficult. And I was in, coming into a body that had a lot of neurological pro, um, difficulty. So I had to find all sorts of different ways to like compensate for neurological problems so like instead of sending a signal from my my brain to my foot i go like from my brain like to a star to my shoulder to another star i bounce signal all the way around and then it finally goes to my foot so i like i figured out something that works for me i don't it took a couple of years so i just always imagine like oh my goodness like how long does it take to integrate with the life like as soon as you get here and figure things out then be like oh like now it's time for the next person to come in like that, that would be challenging for me, but it might be different if you have a different type of body. So that's the other thing, people having different types of unique biosignatures, unique um, journeys, and not everybody has um, a disease or a neur neurological difficulty that, that makes their body so difficult. Like my body is a, it's a hard outfit to fit into. And I had to have a lot of help from healers and other, other beings to kind of help me be in it. Then I want to say one more thing. I have a friend who doesn't call himself a walk-in, but he just one day woke up as the 2.0 version of who he is. He just was like saying um, that he felt like he was a mediocre or minimum version of who he was until one night he had this amazing awakening experience that was not about death or drugs or an ego death or anything like that. He simply had a turning on of all of his internal circuits and he calls himself like the 2.0 version that he became like my light bulb got clicked on to the highest setting, like click, click, it's not that bright, click. All of a sudden he clicked into the third setting of brightness and he just became his truest self. So that is also another description of like, people have transformative experiences all the time, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your old soul leaves and you redefine yourself in that way. But sometimes you can just level up and all of a sudden everything is different. Wow, wonderful, 2.0. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Yeah. You mentioned the word uh, transcendence or transcended a few minutes ago. What is transcendence? When you said that you have you had transcended, what is transcendence? To move beyond the necessity of. So in my original trajectory, I came from Atlantis where everybody ate pure light and nobody died. Here in this time place, it is remembered as a time of the immortals or Hyperborea or Shangri-La or like an amazing mythical time beyond the mists of Avalon. 
And I went through this whole soul progression of moving from densified light into less dense light, into being more like a coherent light being until I'm part of this larger star collective that kind of moves throughout the stars. So I have gone beyond technically the need for drinking coconut drinks or eating almond bread or any of the lovely <laughs> good things that I do to sustain myself here because I've already mastered the basic lessons of individual versus community. That's a lot of what food and sustenance is about. The sense I, as an individuated organism, must be sustained and I'm in community with other organisms. I need to have a balance of what I'm ingesting from them and what I'm sending out to them. So it is one of the basic biological, metabolic lessons of sustaining self while being in community. Because you need to take in from others, but then you also need to send out to others. And what happens when you learn that lesson and on a profound biological level, bio body level, then you get up to the level of pure light where you're taking in light, I'm pointing out my window, from the sun and the stars come directly into you through your light eye, your inner eye right here that kind of takes in light on a different level than your physical eyes here. And you eat that light exclusively and that is what feeds you, but it's not a unidirectional road. It's a two-way street. You are also sending thought energy and love energy back to the sun and stars that it's kind of like if you're in the audience of a beautiful performance, the music washes over you. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then at the end of the performance, you stand up and you cheer and you clap and you send that energy back to the performer. You're like, yes, thank you. Bravo. I love you. That is what that level of reciprocity is like. And then at a certain point, the reciprocity shifts and that I'm in the process of this. I'm not there yet because the journey is eternal. You become an emitter. So at a certain point, you go from being in the audience to being on the stage and you are making the music of life. You're emitting that light to others who then receive it as a beautiful symphony. And at the end of your song, they stand up and cheer and they're like, yay, thank you for singing that song for me. So um, yes, so I've been on this journey of learning and mastering all of these foundation lessons of what it is to be a conscious individual, because we are all in unity consciousness. Like if you pull back to the biggest perspective that it's possible to embody, every single consciousness is the same consciousness, the same divine point of light, but we are all moving back and forth, moving forward and backwards through time. We're all meeting ourselves in time, but we meet each other not knowing. So, so Fernando, you are me and I am meeting you in time, but you have a different life trajectory. You were born in a different place. You've been flying across my screen like this, where I was born over here and I've been flying across my screen like this. And here's this point where we're meeting together and we're making a conversation together. As I, like, hmm, you look different than me, but you're still me. And you, we are sharing ideas and gifts together that we've gotten from our different places that we've come from. But it is sharing gift, gifts given to self, and that a lot of the time we are um, kind of in amnesia, not aware of that we are meeting ourselves. but then there is this moment of convergence that we all end up having, which is the true transcendence, transcending all of these um, lessons of individuation. We return to unity consciousness and we all remember, oh, I'm God. Every single one of us has that thought structure, I am God in the first person, where you remember that that is who you are, that, that that's what you've 
broken off into individuation. Now you have returned into unity consciousness. And so that is, I know, like a very long answer to, to the <laughs> question or the starting point that you gave to me, but that, that's just the profound level of truth of our real journey. And so that was the, your answer to the transcendence and you explained it. I, I got it. Thank you for making it simple for me to understand. Oh, yeah. And so you mentioned a few things you mentioned. Uh, let's talk about amnesia. Okay. This amnesia. Is it is it a is it a chosen amnesia that they the say that the God form or the consciousness created a game of amnesia so that the God particles could go and go through journeys or schools or graduations or uh, experiences in different lifetimes as a game to then realize that we're all one or we're all God, or is it something else? Very well put. I would say, yes, it is a game, but, and also here in this time and place, if I say something is a game, it is kind of denigrating it a little bit and making it feel less profound. Whereas there is a playfulness and there is a gamification to, and also there here in this time place, we are so much, um, programmed with competition like i must win over you in the battle of souls um so <laughs> it's it's a it's a game in its playfulness definitely and it is a game in the sense of that there are rules to games you know like in monopoly you're like yeah you go around the board like this or whatever in jump rope you're supposed to jump and not have your feet be tangled up whatever is the game there are rules to it so in that sense yes um, but there is a profundity to what we are experiencing. There is a non-arbitrary nature to God's self splitting itself up into individuation God particles that are all sprinkled all throughout and moving at different rates through time. And then the reconvergence. Part of the amnesia or self-forgetfulness, like you mentioned, is it voluntary? Yes, part of it is just in the sense of it is necessary to sometimes divorce oneself from the previous levels of the journey in order to start have a fresh chapter, like whatever has gone on before, if it is good or if it is bad, sometimes it's necessary to just kind of be who you are here now without being referential to all of those other things that you've done before, because that gives the possibility for you to have like, it's like you've had the, the palate cleansing between courses at mm. life's great banquet and whatever are the flavors that you have had from what you just went through time to cleanse that away and have the opportunity for a fresh slate and something new even as you recognize that there's a connection a tying together of lifetime over lifetime and soul experience or soul experience parallel lifetimes that you're doing all these things one, one friend of mine, for example, is a lovely friend and she's passed on. I still love her very dearly. She used to talk to me in life and say that she remembered being in ancient Sumeria and she would just say, did some very bad things. And, you know, like, and we kind of like joke or laugh knowingly about it, but I would always say to her, be who you are here now, that focus on the presence of this person who you are here now and not always be carrying the guilt or responsibility 
of who and what you have done in other previous or parallel lives in order to be your best self now, in order to help people and do the greatest that you possibly can for humanity and for God and for consciousness here now, because carrying around those burdens of guilt and self-blame can be um, they can be limiting in being able to like, how do you get past that? Think about a different example, like the person who was flying in the plane over Hiroshima or Nagasaki, and they pressed the button to drop the atom bomb on that city. And they are technically responsible for the instantaneous incineration of, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people and the radioactive fallout. And of course, I know the story that there were many, many bombardiers who were in the planes and they were all given a button, but only one guy had the real button. Like some of them had dummy buttons that, cause it's such a burden to carry that sense of, I want to say there were like seven or 10. They had a lot of guys that had the button so that there wasn't just one person who would walk around for the rest of his existence thinking, I'm the guy that pressed the button that dropped the bomb that did the thing, all right? Because mm. that's a pretty heavy burden, just like my friend remembering from whatever levels of empowerment and responsibility she was in more than 5,000 years ago and how she might've been a power abuser way back then. But of course I see her as a good person. I knew her in this time life where she was my friend and continues to be my friend in heaven. And, uh, or, you know, I, I say that in quotes, my friend in an afterlife world, still helping me and still loving me from the beyond that I see her as a very, very good person. So for people who tend to really internalize that sense of responsibility or a sense of self-blame, what if you did something intentionally wrong to someone else? Here's another example. And I never mean to share people's stories. That's why I keep it all like, you know, um, the names have been changed to protect their, their stories. <laughs> another lovely person who was sharing with me, she remembered a past or concurrent life when she was a healer. She's a healer in this world too. But in that past or concurrent life, she couldn't successfully heal her father or her parent. And he ended up dying or passing on anyway. And even in this life, she felt a lot of responsibility reverberating from that existence that she's like, yeah, I was a healer, but I couldn't save him. And I felt guilty and these different things. And that's because when you're a good person, you're trying to be a good person and you try to help people. And it has a big impact when you're not able to do everything you need to do. And then someone dies anyway. And that leaves an imprint on your soul that even as you carry along, she became in this world. She's like, well, I wasn't able to save people in that life, but I'm going to try really hard and save people in this life. So it is because of conscience, because you have a good, you're a good person. So the long, short answer to this very long explanation is there is a divine wisdom in being able to partition your life and say, I don't remember who I was, you know, in that, in that existence, I'm focusing on who I am here now in order to have a clean slate to do these things in order to have real soul um, uh, refinement and be become who you were. Otherwise you would always be referring to who I was maybe even coasting a little maybe. So those are examples from negativity. Maybe from, if you did something super positive, like I saved the world in that previous existence. And in this existence, my hands are behind my head and I'm just coasting along, you know, cause I'm like, Hey, like I already did everything over there. Like why try? And it's kind of like, no, like, I think it's important to always be doing your best, even though we refer to previous triumphs. If you're an athlete or a soul athlete, you always have to be working your muscles. You always have to be trying to do something good and you're here for a purpose and you can't just always be resting on your laurels with the trophies of the past. It is always about constantly moving forward. Um, but I, there, there's, there's a lot of positivity in looking at this embodied life in our you know, physical dense bodies here in, in a more lighthearted manner, saying that it is like a game, but not in a sociopathic manner 
by saying that the suffering isn't real because the suffering and the pain is very real. And if we feel it or if we cause it towards others, we must take responsibility for it. But there is a lightheartedness in being able to say like, here's a good example from my life, moving here to San Diego in early um, November of the previous year that just happened. I thought that I had a great apartment um, house situation lined up and I'd put down a deposit, but I hadn't seen the place. And then when I got here in person, I found out that the landlord was um, a fraud. He had escaped with my deposit. The place wasn't real. And so in looking at it, I could be going into despair or um, bleakness or any of these things, but I chose to look at it like, okay, like this is a puzzle, like this is a game. Like there's some way for me to learn about what factors led up to this circumstance and also what is the most effective approach behaviorally for me and thought structure for me to be able to get out of this as opposed to like spiraling downward into you know sadness or anything like that. So I ended up you know, get, getting help from others to borrow money for a new security deposit, going online on a different website, finding a roommate situation. And of course I found a good place to live and, you know, like rectified the situation, but it ended up being different than what I thought. So in all of those approaches, that's the positive way of looking at life. Like, you know, like a game, like, okay, um, the factors that I did did not end up to me getting my golden token or my Mario mushroom or whatever it is, you know, in a video game that, that you get that gives you the empowerment. But wah wah, instead of, um, you know, giving up on the game, what I did was I had to change my approach, look at things in a more philosophical way, say, what are my resources? What are my opportunities? How can I move forward from this position of what I've got? And then begin to move forward in a positive direction in that way. That looking at life like a game is really positive because it is an empowerment structure and that it gave me, um, like, like I said, like I had a puzzle to solve as opposed to, you know, when people look up at the sky and they're like, why, why, like, why did this bad thing happen to me? It's not just being smacked down by the cosmos. Sometimes it is uh, not that even you're a bad person or that you have to learn a bad lesson through suffering. Sometimes it is just the arbitrary rules of this particular structure that you find yourself in. Uh, in Monopoly, sometimes, you know, you don't pass go or collect your $200. And why, why is that? Why is this happening? Am I, am I thinking of the right game or sorry, or shoots and ladders? Sometimes the game sends you down. And then the more philosophical is to say, ah, the game sent me down. So now I will find a way to kind of, you know, rat ratchet myself back up and climb the ladder again and get back into better, more positive situations. Wonderful. I have so many questions and I'm, I need to be aware of time. Oh, yes. So how about this? I'm going to ask you maybe one or two more. Okay. And um, I'm learning a lot. Thank you for your time. And um, thank you for having me here. Let's see. So let's go with the question of if you got if you got a contract for a million dollars to help a large business with lots of employees to serve their customers better. Um, what would you do to help that business and the and employees and, and the people say it was a business of um, healthy food? A healthy food business that has probably um, 50 employees and you were given, okay, you have one year and a million dollars for yourself to come up with ways to help that company serve the world better. What are some things that you do or would you take the contract? 
I would take the contract. My real question is, I am infinitely aware of the dichotomy between making the world better as opposed to making a company's profitability better. So as would I, would I be an employee or an independent contractor that I'm beholden to increasing the profits of the company? Or am I working as a cosmic avatar of being able to do what is the best in the world? Because of course, that's how I want to do all of my money earning, but I'm very much aware of the commodification world and the way that companies look at giving away a million dollars to someone as their, as their payment. So which one am I? The latter. Okay. As a cosmic avatar, if it was yeah. some nutrition-based or health-based thing, I would absolutely make sure that it is available to people that are of all different social stratum, that I'm really infinitely aware. I might've spoken about this in your previous conversation that I had with you. When I first came here and I was learning about human economy and food and all these different things, I learned like, wait, there's a big room that is the food room and you're only allowed to go in there if you have the magic pieces of paper. And <laughs> The grocery store. Yes. And I did not get it. I did not understand it because to me, I'm used to places of abundance and sharing and we'll return to those levels. We will as a collective return to those levels of being, but I did, that's where I came from. And I did not understand a commodification B um, the sense of a limited number of objects in the world. Like there's only so many apples and that that's why these are how much apples are priced at. And then the sense of um, responsibility to the apple growers and the truck that drive them there because to me everything was an abstraction that just appears magically like when you're a child and you don't really understand like where do things come from they're just there on the shelf they are just quantumly collapsed out of reality by our attention and again we'll get to those levels of beingness again in my journey in this materialistic world I had to learn about materialism and then the responsibility towards others in community in materialism so I had to learn why is food commodified why does it cost how much it costs and then why do you have to have magical pieces of paper instead of just sharing it freely but one of the big things that I have recognized is that that food is so essential to it's not just nourishment for your metabolism of your body it really is about like your mind and your your imagination your ability to even envision a greater life experience, a better quality of existence for yourself or for others. When people are in malnourishment, they are in poverty of imagination. That makes it very, very difficult to imagine something better. So if I was part of this superfood company or health, healthy product or anything like that, I would, if, if it were possible, make it available, subsidize it, or make it more available to people that otherwise would not be able to have this. There's so much of what people have low mood and low quality of life and even violence and psychopathology, even beyond physical somatic disease, a lot of it is through not getting enough micronutrients, like not having enough literal minerals in their diet. People take supplements and usually supplements cost a lot of money, just eating vegetables that are grown out of regular soil, a lot of soil is depleted. So it's just so challenging in this time place. If, in fact, I mean, if I had multiple millions of dollars, I would put a lot of it into soil revivification getting micronutrients back into the soil, improving the entire substrate of the food food collective, because that is a food is directly connected to mood and to the capacity to generate a better reality. But I know I just up, I, I just elected myself to be in charge of the whole food supply, not just one company. <laughs> I know I tend to do that. 
Um, but yeah, I would, I would um, make it more available to people at all levels of being, including people that live in whatever food, food um, uh, uh, there's food on the shelf, but just not healthy, nourishing food. And I've, I've been exposed to some communities like that too, where it's like, you know, there are mini marts and convenience stores, but you have to go to, like I said, a special food room to be able to find food that's grown without chemicals and it costs extra and you have to drive further and it's harder to find it. And oh boy, oh boy, like that's just the state of the world that we live in right now. Wonderful. Wonderful. Awesome. One last question. And I've written questions here. We're not going to be able to get to today. So obviously we need to do a part three. I would love that. Good. <laughs> okay. So the next question has to do with superpowers. Wonderful. Do you have access to them? If so, could you use them or do you play the game at a human level without your superpowers if you have access? And so do you have access to superpowers? If so, could you use them if you really wanted to um, that are super, I guess, natural compared to human powers? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and if so, you know, have you used them or will you use them? Or how, how is that relationship with, with powers that are one would describe as super power, uh, supernatural? Beautiful question. My answer is yes. I do have superpowers. And they are derived from or, or interwoven with this practice that is a dance that I call flying rainbow lasagna. And part of it, you would say that my superpower is the capacity to restructure time. That it, that's, so if you go back to, there was this show that was called Heroes, I think, that all these different people that had different superpowers, but I think the guy who was the most powerful was the guy that had the capacity to stop time with his mind and rearrange time directly. That's even different than like if you can shoot lasers out of your eyes or if you have super strong muscles or something like that, the capacity to rearrange time. And I absolutely have used it many times. So what I do with my collective, that is the Aurora Collective, is send out rectification waves using this superpower of oscillation that I have. And the, 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 um, the self-description that I have to give is that I am hyper-responsible in the way that I use my superpower. That many, many times I've said to people like, how come I don't like, you know, change, change time so that everything is convenient for me. Like I will have a giant house and a fleet of Rolls Royces and chauffeurs and, you know, like live a very lavish lifestyle. Although of course I would love to have tons of abundance and be able to share even more with others. But you have to say like, why have I not done that? What is going on with this? If I have this superpower that I can use to rearrange reality, how come I'm not just hugely self-serving with it? And the real answer to that is I am serving cosmic law. I'm serving a divine mandate or something that is larger. It's the, I have this power and I also have the wisdom and the responsibility of how and when to use it beyond merely what is my own personal ego convenience. And what I've been doing with this power for 20 years is an overarching transformation of what it is to be here and to be alive, that I don't want to just redefine my own existence as being more quality, high quality and comfortable, which usually relates to having more money and physical resources here. I really want to redefine everything for everyone towards cosmic freedom. That's the big thing. So in this time place, we equate money with freedom. Like if I have enough money, I can live wherever I want. I can fly on a plane and go wherever I want. I can ostensibly do whatever I want to do. We equate it with freedom. But really what we're talking about is 
energy and willpower, which is your connection to the divine. And we talk about the divine, it's like an abstract presence. So if you have your own willpower, your own free will, and plenty of energy, then you are a very, very wealthy person in that you can create the reality structure and do what you wish to do in that reality structure. So what I've been doing is my own superpower, genetic oscillation, slowly transforming the world with these rectification waves. And as part of that, teaching others about their own dormant innate capacities to send out rectification waves, rewrite the story of their life, rectify the things that one would not wish to experience like diseases and inadequacies and ne negative experiences and write in their place this, this, this happens instead. And that through doing that for 20 years, I've watched people's lives transform. I've watched the social fabric of humanity transform and redefine itself. We're not at the end of the journey at all. And that has always been my, my the, the biggest gift or success that I could think of would be everybody wins everybody, everything gets better. So in the gamification of life, I'm one of those people where I'm like, it doesn't have to be this guy wins and then wah, wah, like everyone else is a loser. It should be everybody wins, even though we don't have very many games that are like that, it to, you know, that we actually play because people are trained for competition. But um, yes, so I use my superpowers all the time. And in my body, I've used my superpowers to transcend the neurological damage that I, technically I should be a vegetable in bed. Technically, I should not be able to move like my right arm and my right leg or to speak or to do a lot of the things that I do. Clearly, I do all these things that are, you know, they're all miracles. All the things that I do that would be considered regular, walking around, being a person type of things are miracles because I'm using flying rainbow lasagna to, like I said, bounce my neurological signal all the way around the stars and then down to my toes so that I can actually do these things. And I've used it for pers personal healing, personal rectification. And um, I've, I've, you know, I've been through a lot of things that would have technically or should have, could have, they could have ended my life, but they did not because I used my superpowers because being here, I feel is a very important mission. And every time I'm like, nope, I'm not ready to go. Like I will rewrite the story. So um, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've done that a bunch of different times. Wonderful. Well, the next question is for, uh, for everyone listening. Um, it will be around purpose, will be about physical healing, and it will be about the journey, the eternal journey. It will be about the emitter, the, being an emitter. Is that how you say it? Emitter, but I emitter. have no problem yeah. with your beautiful pronunciation of it. Okay, good. Thanks. So those are the questions for the next time that we get together and have a chat again. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your gifts and your wisdom you. uh, with me and everyone listening. I'm sure that everyone listening here is taking away lots of good information to apply into their lives, even if it's uh, questioning or start questioning, you know, what can I use? What perspective can I use to improve my, my journey today from everything that you said today and all the questions they heard today? Yeah. And go from, what's the word you use? Dormant, innate like start going from dormant to awakening or waking up those parts of, of us that need to be, um, need to, to come to life and need to sprout just like the, 
those the seeds that sprout and are so healthy <laughs> it's coming all for full circle to the sprouting i love it i love it thank you so much for inviting me here again for today's conversation i love you thank you for you asked some of the most insightful questions in in conversation so i enjoy talking with you so much and thank you for inviting me back for another i would love to go for session number three that sounds fantastic thank you yeah, yeah let's go for session number three thanks for your time uh, so, uh let me know what we need to do to get those the bag the huge bag of hemp seeds well, talk i love this idea good because it's that 50 pounds is a commitment that's a lot of seeds <laughs> to sprout yeah and i can i already know that some of my neighbors and friends they will love to Thank to you. get you know a few pounds each yeah you know what i would love to do i would love to do a little workshop too to kind of teach people how to do it so that they're not just trying to figure it out through trial and error so does that sound good too yes 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 that sounds amazing so let me put that on the list here uh on a to-do list so i have now two things the first one is the big 50 pound bag uh -huh. <laughs> two, next one is the sprouting workshop with aurora yeah awesome cool so thank you so much for your time again um i uh, hope we can talk again soon perhaps next week if, if it's good for you um, and for everyone listening, just uh, listen to the conversation again. <laughs> Go back and replay it. Take some notes if needed. Uh, do you have any, any uh, say, the uh, parting thoughts to everyone listening to, to this conversation that you'd like uh, for them to, to have? as we close this, this conversation. Yeah, I'm absolutely, I'm always coming from the unity consciousness direction where I'm caring about everybody's journey as if it is my own journey. That's why I like the story where in the game, everybody wins and there's no want one losers. Cause I literally look at all of you as fragments of myself and the potential of be becoming part of that Aurora collective that is actually folding itself back in time and coming back here and talking to you through this particular, particular conversation here today. So I just want you to know that I love you. I'm absolutely rooting for you on your personal life marathon. I want everybody to, you know, make it to the end of the marathon, break the tape, like across the finish line. Yes. But that doesn't <laughs> death. That means like success, like ascension, trans transformation, empowerment. So yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for everybody to win. Amazing. I love you too. I love you too. And uh, for everyone listening, uh, take care of yourselves uh, and stay tuned for part three. And Aurora, I'll speak with you next week. Sounds good. Have a beautiful rest of the day. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.